she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. everybody guys welcome to episode 41 of the body serve i'm jonathan and i'm james and we come to you fully prepared we even have a title ready for the episode before we recorded which never happens no this is what we usually agonize about i hate creating titles but this one just wrote itself yeah tonight game of thrones is back some would say rafa is back the synergy was just undeniable winter is coming (laughs) and rafa is coming So we come to you on day two of Lemonade, (laughs) your life after Lemonade. How is it? I fully intended to go make myself some spiked lemonade for this this episode. And you did. Well, kind of. There's some lemons in the drink. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a concoction. You did it like the low budget, I don't want to pay for a drink at a restaurant way. Can I have eight lemon slices and 25 sugar packets, please? Thank you. (laughs) We've all seen it. We've gotten so much life the last 24 hours. We came home from a long day at work to find that Beyonce had released her video album and that Miss Serena Williams was in one of the videos. Yeah, and featured quite prominently. Yeah, at first, like, we got a few still shots and a couple gifs and we're like, okay, Mm. you know. Then when you watch the whole thing, it's like she's twerking all over that joint. (laughs) It's such a perfect combination, Beyonce and Serena. Visually, in actuality, the fact that they're buddy-buddy, that Serena Mm -hmm. did her own 7-Eleven video back in the day. (laughs) And now we have Serena in this sorry video for the Lemonade album. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Twerking beside Beyonce, who is sitting on Serena's throne. You might recognize that throne, From the cover of Sports Illustrated when Serena won Sports Person of the Year, right? Yes, and Beyonce's pose is very clearly an homage to that Sports Illustrated Uh pose. And Serena is paying her no mind. She's let (laughs) Beyonce borrow her throne, and she's just casually twerking away. Mm -hmm. Not a care in the world because... She's just bubbling on the side. because guess what? Beyonce is great, Serena is great. They share that greatness together. And they shared that throne together, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Serena was just kind of uh, her hype girl for that right? video, you know? Beyonce's like, I'm going to keep that seat warm for you for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You're not playing no tennis right now. <laughs> and it was very appropriate that it was for the song Sorry, where over and over and over she says, I'm not sorry, I ain't sorry. Mm. You know, it's really fitting for Serena. And why, why do you say that? Care to expound a little well, bit? Well, I mean... How many times in her career has Serena had to apologize for things she's done? And, you know, we've gotten to the point, we've talked about this before, where apologizing is over, where the defending is over. You know, Serena is Serena. It's in line to with what we talked about when Formation came out. Mm -hmm. And Beyonce then, and now Serena is now packaged in with that, right? Right. This unapologetic black womanhood. Mm Mm-hmm. Represented in this video with these two great pop culture icons. Yeah, and it really shows that these two 
you may have already said this, are really at the peak of their field, and they're really equals. And they are doing things and have done things that haven't been done before. They're equals without equals. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yes. They're peers without peers. You think peers. of the two contemporary black women in pop culture who are several cuts above the rest. Mm -hmm. And it's those two. It's Beyonce and Serena. And for this message to be made and to be being put out by Beyonce, who better than Serena to, to hop on that bandwagon with? Right. In a seamless way. It's, it's so perfect that they're doing this together. And Beyonce has also collaborated with Michelle Obama. So, <laughs> you know, like, how can you get better than that? And let's face it, Serena is just moving in that video. I mean, she's really <laughs> but, but representing where she like came the from. Michelle Obama just moved. Oh, campaign. right. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay, got it. <laughs> Did you know, in the course of my studies this semester, I learned that Michelle and Barack met uh, in a law firm when Michelle was his boss mm. or his mentor. He was a first year associate. Saucy. Right? She is, and she's just. And she probably still is his boss. Well, maybe. <laughs> she is a very impressive woman. Very and accomplished I knew that, in her but own right. Yep. My impression of her just keeps growing. Now, I haven't listened to or watched all of Lemonade yet because I'm generally very confused by title. <laughs> and. A little annoyed, I'm not going to lie. Not just confused, unwilling to try and figure it out as well. I feel like you're just over the whole title thing. You resent. I was never really under the title thing, though. <laughs> but you, you resent having to search for new music like this. I do. And I get, you know, it's ethical and right to pay for content. Oh, God, I hate that word, content. To pay for music. Mm -hmm. But it's just kind of annoying. <laughs> I don't want a subscription. I want. I just want to be able to buy the album. I will pay yeah. for it. I just want to buy it and have it be mine and forget about the streaming bullshit. I hate streaming. Because it's very clear that Beyonce has earned our money right. for this record. I've bought every single one of her albums. I will buy this one. I bought just you, let me live. I've bought you her records on vinyl now. Right. <laughs> There's so many different ways in which her stuff will be bought by you. But I guess that you are not everybody, right? Right. But you just get this this FOMO thing, you know, this fear of missing out. I know. Like yesterday on Twitter, I just had no idea what was going on. And this Lemonade movie, you know what? I didn't really care about it. But now like, you do. Until, but now the album yeah. was released at the same time. So. And then you watch the Sorry video because that was that's all over Twitter because Serena is right. in it, right? And I want to watch the whole thing now. Like mm -hmm. that is some mm -hmm. serious heavy shit. Like Beyonce put all... Her dirty laundry out there. Yeah, I mean, who knew, like, 30-minute meals? Rachel Ray was such a <laughs> hoe! I did not know that! <laughs> it's See, what happened was, <laughs> it's come to our attention that there are those in the Beehive who have confused Miss, Miss Rachel Roy mm -hmm. with Miss Rachel Ray. Yeah. And so there's a bit of misdirected hate going toward the queen of the quick cuisine. <laughs> is that her official title i just made it up it like is hers queen now of soul queen of quick cuisine well you know like sometimes i come home and i cook something and i have it done in 15 20 minutes and i'm like rachel ray could never mm -hmm. could never never i want to know okay so beyonce referred to becky with the good hair 
How did that result in everyone knowing that the woman in question was Rachel Roy? I guess we are just not up to date with the B sauce. I you guess. Know? We I just mean, don't know. Because you know there are people who know everything. Like the hive be enterprising. <laughs> <laughs> like how many times Beyonce has gone to the bathroom this week? They know. Right. I just have to say, please, hive, don't destroy this woman. Obviously, she did something bad, but let's fight the real enemy here. Yes, like Jay-Z's the one who strayed. That ugly husband of hers. I have never understood this tendency with women to tear down the other woman. Mm -hmm. Like, I get that, you know, if you want to moralize the whole thing, they have done something bad as well. But it's your spouse that stepped out on you. Like, come on. And it ain't nobody's business. Well, except now it is. No, it is. Fine, it's (laughs) out there. But, like, to be then going, like, tearing down this woman now because you're defending Beyonce Mm. like get off it yeah can I say that I love I haven't heard much of the music but the song sorry I love it that it's very clear she's taking influence from her sister's music Mm -hmm. at least that's what I hear yeah anyway let's move on the other big news of the week was unfortunately Prince's very surprising passing yeah I was absolutely shocked I'm not I wasn't like the biggest Prince fan So it wasn't nearly the same effect as when, say, Whitney died. Mm -hmm. But if somebody famous dies again, and I have to hear it from somebody that I do not care about Mm -hmm. or care to hear it from, I am going to be so mad, even madder. I I was uh, at work and heard from a customer that Whitney died. I know. And he was very blasé and just glib about it. And Mm -hmm. I could have ended him right then and there. (laughs) And then this coworker that I really just cannot deal with. Like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, Prince is dead. Oh, he was only 57. Oh my god. Mm. And then I have to like scuttle into the back and like check Twitter and like, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. I, so I am on the same page. I didn't really like get Prince mm-hmm. on that level. I love the Purple Rain album a lot. But beyond that, I haven't ever been really like a huge fan, yeah. more of an appreciator. But, like, his appeal with people of a certain age is incredible. Universal, and it's And it's something that you see maybe once in a generation. It's hard to find someone who appeals to people on that level and makes them so crazy. And across so many de- demographics. Right. Because it's not just a black thing. No. Like, white people love Prince. And especially people like our parents' age and a little bit younger who kind of grew up with him. And we're experiencing this stuff for mm-hmm. the first time in the early 80s. Yeah. With people of our age, we get into older music a lot by happenstance or of our own volition. We go out and we seek it out. Mm-hmm. I didn't really seek out Prince's music as much as I probably should have. But my interaction with him over the years was this just incessant, almost casual homophobia from him, which mm-hmm. didn't really gel with how I viewed him visually. As an artist, right, you know, right. somebody who is so supposedly sexually progressive. And then I guess in his personal life, he was very religious. But also he had these he had these instances where it was like no homo, like all over the place. Yeah. And just very judgmental. Yes. About homosexuality in general from a religious perspective. So when I see people say, you know, he was a sexual revolutionary, I kind of have to shake my head mm. a little bit. And when he's so skilled in the art of shade and reading and giving cut eyes that stuff is borrowed very much from black gay culture 
Mm. You know, so like you're presenting parts of gayness in your your mystique, your public persona, your celebrity, and then you're shunning us. Okay. In a sense, you know? I have to believe that gay people borrowed from him too. Yeah. You know? I mean, people are complicated. Yes. And he expressed a really uh, rebellious form of masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, There's... it wasn't completely revolutionary, obviously. No, because that, that for me was, that undercut it mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. Still, like a phenomenal artist, a massive loss to music, and commiserations to everybody who was really affected by Prince. Yes. So let's move on to tennis. Yeah. First of all, if you've been following Serena on Snapchat or Twitter, you know that she really isn't playing tennis right now. She's making tacos. Uh, yeah. She did have supposedly, what, five days of clay training with Patrick, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen any visual evidence of it (laughs) (laughs) she's got a little over a week before she has to play her first match in madrid right i guess yeah and what we've seen from her this week i mean clearly it's not a typical serena non-tennis week Mm -hmm. but we see her winning the laureus sportswoman of the year award she's on hsn selling her clothes And then she pops up in Beyonce's video. Clearly, the Beyonce video happened a while back. Right. But, like, this is what a week of hers can look like Mm. when she's not even playing tennis. And all these random photo shoots. And she had, like, a masquerade party. Yeah, she had the the Serena Invitational, she called it. Oh, my God. And, you know, I'm just watching watching footage on her Snapchat. I'm like, can you get on a mother effing clay court now? (laughs) I, I'm not here for Snapchat. I've decided to rebuke it. I don't really understand it. <laughs> I don't get why it's necessary. No, it's really fun. It can be really fun. Mm. I don't know how to use it. Like, I don't know how to send them. I mean, if somebody like Serena is giving you insight into her life, fine. But I was at work the other day and some girl is checking her Snapchat for her friend who has put like 20 updates of her walking in the park, doing this, eating cereal. Like, it is... <laughs> the manifestation of extreme modern-day narcissism, Snapchat. Okay, could be, yeah. It's like Twitter but tenfold. So let people be it narcissistic. It makes me feel really old, Okay, and I don't like it. I mean, if you don't want to watch somebody walk through a park, then just don't watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can we just say, how awesome is it that two tennis players won the Laureus Award this mm-hmm. year? And Serena won it for the third time. Mm-hmm. No woman has ever won it three and times. And that's a sports woman of the year, not just tennis player of the year. That's all women or not, across the world. Or not sports horsewoman of the year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, let's not get bitter because she won SI's sports okay. woman of the year over the horse. Now, of course, the titular subject <laughs> of our episode today is Rafael Nadal. Who has just really changed the complexion of this season. Yeah. We, in two weeks. We thought about recording last week after he won Monte Carlo. And while that was so exciting for us, I was kind of like, well, you know, let's hold off a little bit. Because <laughs> I, even I, as happy as I was, was not prepared to give it any labels or think of it as any great indicator moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure I'm at that place either. But at least it's it's a more complete picture to look back at the last two weeks and be able to analyze further. Okay. I mean, 
in Monte Carlo, it was like, okay, well, Novak lost. Mm-hmm. So there was this caveat. There's always going to be that caveat mm-hmm. unless he beats him, right? Right. But the people that he beat in Monte Carlo, Baden, Dominic Team, Stan, Maury, and then Monfils in the final. And then this week, he beat Grenoyer, uh, Montañez, Fonini, Kohlschreiber, and Nishikori, the defending champion in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's no, those are no chumps. No. I mean, he beat his bugaboo, Fabio. He beat Dominic Team, who he lost to earlier this season. Um, there's Stan and Andy, who are both top five players. Like, this is a great list. Mm-hmm. You know, these, this is an amazing two weeks. And, and within those matches, you saw a lot of progress. Yeah. And my expectations were very, very low going into Monte Carlo. I'm not sure if I said that on the last episode. Uh, because looking at that draw, I was like, oh, God. Yeah. So what do we have to hope for? A round three? <laughs> you know, and then this happened. So I was shocked and very pleased. He had Rosol, then Team, and then he went on to play Stan, Murray, and then it mm-hmm. would have been Djokovic in the final. Right. So, like, that didn't really give much hope for an Nadal win. And, uh, I mean, he never had to play Rosol, which, given his current fo- form, I don't think would have been a problem. Yeah. But it's maybe like a mental hurdle. It's another hurdle. Now, I would say, for me, the turning point of his season, mm-hmm. and you probably disagree, is his win over team in round three at Monte Carlo. Because I think, first of all, this young chap beat him in Buenos Aires, I think, this season. He's had an amazing start to the year. He loves playing on clay. And I think getting he past had a great that start hurdle, of the year before even getting to clay. Right, he is the presumptive next best right now mm. of all the players we've heard of over the last few years. He's squarely number one right now in fulfilling yes, his promise. Definitely, he's like quickest to that mm-hmm. to that level in his generation. So I feel like getting through a tough match against team was a big mental victory for Rafa, and we know how much of a confidence player he is. And when you do yourself a favor, if you have if you haven't watched that match, go back and watch the highlights. It's some of the most fun tennis I've seen all year, mm-hmm. and the action that both players get on the on the ball, watching that going back and forth from both sides of the court is just mm-hmm. stunning. And there's something. First of all, let me say I'm so happy that tennis is back on clay right now. Mm-hmm. There's something about clay tennis that can't be replicated on other surfaces. This creativity, this using many corners of the court, and, you know, watching them find these angles and these passing shots is really just what I love about tennis. The defense. That's what I love most about Mm. play. You have players who seem to be totally out of a point, and there's so many different ways they can get themselves back into it. And then you see them glide out of nowhere. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I don't disagree with you that beating team was... A turning point if you want to look to one. I also think that it it helps that it came after Nadal saved match points against Zverev in Indian Wells. Okay, yeah. And it wasn't even a match point that Nadal pulled out of his hat or his ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was a gift. <laughs> Zverev yeah. had an easy volley to put away the match and he dumped it in the net and Nadal came back to win. And we talked a lot earlier in the season about how unlucky it seems that Rafa had been in a lot of his losses. Mm. So many of those matches could have gone either way. 
and it just seemed like he wasn't coming up with the right shot at the important time or catching a break where, you know, those kinds of things go your way when you're playing well. And finally, something fortuitous happened for him. Right. And then he was able to build on that beat K in the next round, make the semis in Indian Wells. He had to retire earlier on in Miami because of the conditions, the humidity. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to Monte Carlo and he plays this great tournament, beats team, and he's able to get some of that momentum, that confidence-building momentum that he talks about or has talked about a lot over the last 18, 16, 18 months. And then here we are, two tournaments, two tournament wins later, 1,500 ranking points. He's up to number two in the race to London out of nowhere. <laughs> right. He's up to number two. He's only 545 points behind Stan for number four in the rankings, which seems fairly doable. It is because Stan is defending 2,000 at Mm. the French. Yeah. But even getting there before the French Open, Mm. I think it would be a big help to him. People looking forward to Nadal maybe being able to win at Roland Garros. Getting the fourth seed will be a big help. Right. Because maybe then team can take out Djokovic in the third round or something, (laughs) you know? I mean, the possibility seems less remote. Yeah. That he could win the French again. And he's also opened up a 1,600-point gap over Nishikori for number six. Mm-hmm. So going forward the rest of the year, if he stays healthy, Nadal most likely is going to be top four easily by the end of the year. Yeah. Comfortably. I agree. So this title makes nine in Barcelona. There's nine in Monte Carlo and nine French Opens. So he is actually the first player to win nine at any tournament. Mm-hmm. And now he's done it three times. And I think he has, what, like a measly eight at Rome? <laughs> you know, something, some horrible stat yeah. like that. His dominance over Clay, when we look back at his career two decades down the line, provided these tournaments are still active and the history is still mm. there. People, upcoming generations will look back at it like, how did this happen? In the midst of Federer, in the midst of, again, Djokovic, all these players, that he was able to do that. Right. Of course, like, you have to wonder how many Roland Garros titles Federer would have won had he been allowed. Federer could be in the 20s by now. Yeah. But these past two weeks, we saw a lot more of his intangibles, the X factors in his game coming to the fore on the Mm -hmm. tennis court. Yeah, because a lot of the tangibles weren't working all the time. Yeah. You know, (laughs) his shot making is not at his best. Still. Still, yeah, and I mean the of, forehand is vastly improved. Oh my god, you you know you're not. There was there were periods where you were wondering, like last year and early this year, is the forehand even going to go in? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something he he always had a lot of margin on his shots because of the spin. So like errors weren't really a concern with him, but the forehand is clicking most of the time. You know, and there are moments, there are flashes where you see, oh my god. Like him running around a those, backhand to hit a huge forehand. Those down-the-line forehand passes on mm-hmm. the run. Yes. We've seen so many of them in the last two mm-hmm. weeks. And we've seen him being able to win points with his serve when he needed to. Case in point, in the final against K, he was down triple triple break point in the first set. Mm-hmm. And he was able to rely on the serve to eventually hold the game. Which, a few months ago, we'd be like, well... There's a a quick break back, right, you know? Right. And I was actually surprised to look up the stats, and the serve stats weren't amazing, 
But the impression I got watching it was like, wow, he's serving pretty hard mm -hmm. and it seems to be clicking. The thing that I noticed that he still has to be mindful of is running around that backhand. Because the danger for him, and it's always been the case, if you don't come up with a lethal shot with that forehand or you make the wrong decision, you leave the entire court open. Right. And so maybe that's part of the process, you know, improving the decision making. And the footwork is much improved as well, which helps. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there were definitely some points where you're like, what is he thinking? Mm -hmm. You know, there were some bad tactical choices when he's pulled way out to one side of the court and he just chooses the wrong place. And with Djokovic's dominance, it's reasonable for somebody to want him to play like Djokovic, mm. but that does not include Djokovic's smash. <laughs> because we saw quite right. a few as... Vinny and my cousin Vinny would say hyenas overhead smashes right. these last two weeks. Which is so unlike him. I His know. smash is uniformly excellent. Mm -hmm. But this is nitpicking. Right. Overall, fabulous two weeks. As Rafa fans, thrilled. Shocked even. Yeah. Not gonna we're not gonna come here and say to you like, oh well, you know, these people have been writing him off and we knew all this time. Like we had our doubts, just like Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> cheers if you got that reference <laughs> it took me a second and you know i guess we're just more pessimists at heart we have gotten 14 slams from nadal so much greatness over the years mm -hmm. that who are we to expect more at this point it feels like it's all just gravy right it's like venus they're nowhere near in the same places in their careers mm -hmm. i don't think but that's how i feel that's how i look at it as a fan of both you okay know? Now, the other winners this week, we have Angelique Kerber, who just really can't stop winning. <laughs> you know, that Aussie Open slump is over. Yep. It is so over. She defended her title in Stuttgart. After making two semifinals. So she's well and truly back to form. And for, as we said before, new Kerber converts. Right. <laughs> this is very pleasing to I us. I know. Sorry it took so long. Right now, she's number three in the rankings, a stone's throw from Radwanska at number two. And if you were to shift Vika into the fourth spot over Muguruza, who hasn't really done much this year, mm -hmm. you really get a full picture of what tennis in 2016 on the WTA Tour has been. Yeah. Right? Those have been the four best players, I'd say. Yeah, the rankings are pretty accurate. Yeah. They aren't always on the WTA, no. you know? And you have Vinci up there in the top ten. She's played well this year. Uh, Kvedeva is starting to find her form again. Maria is hanging around at nine. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Eventually, she'll get out of the top ten. But like the, we talked a lot about the uncertainty in, in women's tennis. But the rankings kind of reflect what's going on at this point. Right now, do you think that Maria is going to ask Kerber for her Porsche? She, because it's rightfully hers, you know. <laughs> well, she didn't win it last year. Did she play mm -hmm. last year? I don't even know. Um, I don't remember she played, but, I know she's but Kerber won, won yeah. it last year too. Yeah. So between the two of them, they have the majority of Porsches won in <laughs> tennis yes. in the last decade. I guess Serena feels like she doesn't need a Porsche. She showed down. Because she doesn't play Stuttgart. She's got Beyonce cameos <laughs> <laughs> to worry about. I can't really see her driving either. I know for sure Venus drives because I've seen video of Venus driving. Yeah, I'm I not see, sure about I feel Serena. like Venus probably drives like a Buick LeSabre. You know, like a real old lady car. 
<laughs> something very sensible. Why are you going to do her like that? Because the Eleven aesthetic really mm. just goes with that, you know? I love, you know, you know, I love the Golden Girl chic that she has going on. So you think she's got a Blanche Devereaux BMW? Uh, Is that what Blanche drove? No, she, that's, she didn't drive that. She had a big fancy car one time that got into an accident, right? Yeah. I think one of her bows had a BMW. Oh, okay. Her gentleman callers. <laughs> this week also saw Buyukache winning her first ever WTA title. And it was also the first WTA title won by a Turkish player. Yes. A Turkish woman. And she did it on home soil. Hey. Right. Hell of a week for her. Enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> Last week... Irina Falcone won her first title as well. She did so in mm. Bogota. And you think of emerging and or established U.S. women's players that you'd expect to win a title. And hers might not even be in the first 10 names that come to your top. <laughs> right. So she kind of won it under the radar. And props to her. Mm-hmm. As far as standouts from the last couple of weeks, who do you want to talk about? Well, I mean... The obvious, the Cinderella story is... Who Laura, that? Who that? <laughs> who's Cinderella? <laughs> <laughs> Laura Siegemund, who... She's 28 years old. Mm-hmm. She just had her first top 100 season last year. And her high ranking was 71, which she is at currently. And she's going to move up to 42 tomorrow. Or today, when you listen to this. That's pretty boss. <laughs> but I mean... I had heard the name before because mm-hmm. she reached the third round of the Australian, Australian Open. Open. She beat Yankovic. Uh, but that was her first time ever out of the first round of a Grand Slam. And she had a hell of a week. I mean, just an incredible week. She came to Stuttgart. She beat Pavlyuchenkova, Halep, Vinci, and Radwanska. And Radwanska six four six two. 6'2". I mean... Aga has been playing better than almost anyone over the past six months. And that was just a really impressive win. Yeah. And, you know, she made it to the final and ended up losing to the current Australian Open champion. Defending champion in Stuttgart. Right. No shame in that. So, you know, I watched, I didn't watch the match, but I watched uh, some highlights. And again, it was so exciting to see someone use the entire court, play drop shots, hit these big returns, passes. Clay tennis is alive. And the the WTA is deep. Yes. Who saw this coming? It was there. It's just you have to buck the narrative, mm. you know, that undercuts women's tennis at every turn. Right. And I was thinking about that this week, too, with, with Rafa serving and even in the men's game, especially on clay, where, where you're more inclined to see fewer aces, the temptation is to then view the serving stats as being bad. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. You can't then make claims that a player played poorly because the serving stats aren't as impressive as one would hope. Right. Clay, that's the beauty of clay. It brings to the fore so many other facets of tennis that you don't get to experience on grass or in hard courts. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many, many, many entertaining women's matches that feature a lot of service breaks yeah you know but that's the argument that's used to undermine women's tennis Mm -hmm. right that there's so many breaks of serve 
And so that's just not quality tennis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's an essay to be written about like how masculine that argument is, but I I can't think through that right now. <laughs> you have here written on our agenda that Good Petra is back. <laughs> well, Good Petra was back for this week. Okay. I I don't know what next week brings. And Good Petra brought with her a new coach. She did, yeah. She has been coachless since January. And she's now working with Frantisek Chermak, if that's how you say it. I'm not sure. <laughs> the New York Times had, like, the shortest article about this new coach. <laughs> and the quote they use from Petra is just beautiful. I just love Petra so much. She said, I was thinking about what to do, and I figured he could help me. What, what more is there to say? <laughs> Isn't that what you hope when you hire a new coach? And she tweeted after what she made the semis in Stuttgart that, you know, not a bad first tournament, you know, with the new coach. Right. I, I mean, Petra just, she really gets to the she, point. She does. <laughs> if all university students could write as clearly as she does. Let's uh, unpack Petra's week a little bit. She beat Muguruza in three sets. She double bageled Trico to start the tournament. Mm -hmm. It was like, well, well, somebody came to play. Yeah, interesting fact about Chirico. This is the path I'm leading you down here. <laughs> As, Back to, you know, again, your favorite topic. We're coming full circle here. <laughs> As some of you may know, Camila Giorgi declined <laughs> to play Fed Cup against Italy, <laughs> or with Italy, and she played the Qualis in Stuttgart instead. She was a lucky loser and made it to the first round and lost to Chirico. And then Chirico went on to lose love and love to Petra Gvidova. Mm -hmm. So, But what do you really want to say? You know, I feel like I maybe went a little hard on That is not Miss what Camilla. I expected you to say <laughs> at all. No, because it's really her evil demon father. It really is. Okay. It's all him. And I know... She's a grown woman now, and this is her career, but, I mean, the the difficulty of, like, throwing off a domineering parent is something that I don't know, unfortunately. Or, fortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> fortunately I don't have that problem. Uh -huh. But, you know, maybe I blamed her a little bit too much. And I've said this about Wozniacki, too, that she needs to dump her father. Completely. Not, not do, like, team coaching. Because that has failed. I think she needs to dump her father completely. But I I feel like the weight of that decision and that situation. But you had all you also had thoughts about foregoing Fed Cup and destroying that relationship for mm -hmm. a qualification loss. Yeah. I mean, she was lucky, hence the term lucky loser. She mm -hmm. lost in the final round of qualifying, but she did make the main draw. So I, maybe she felt it was worth it. And generally, I'm going to say, you know, if you want to skip Fed Cup to play a real tournament, you do that because you're actually making money from that mm -hmm. and you're getting ranking points. But in this case, are you willing to destroy this relationship and people who have paid you to do your job? Maybe there's going to be some lawsuit filed by the Georgies that exposes some real crazy stuff. On the part of the Italian Federation. That maybe they are in some kind of way at fault here. <laughs> and she needed to get out of their clutches as well. Perhaps. Perhaps. But 
it's probably more likely that a class action is coming against the Georgie family <laughs> from all corners of the world. <laughs> Imagine the bargaining power of oh all of these uh, creditors get together and say, we want our money. <laughs> I know. I just can't help it. Maybe she could start some crowdfunding, you know, 500 bucks per double fault. She'd get there but in that no time. That is rude. I did not go there. <laughs> that is not nice. Uh, maybe she just, she probably didn't want to work with those mean women anymore. Sarah Arani and Roberta Vinci. I am distancing myself from you with this Italian female player hate. I'm sure I'm. some Italians are going to call me racist. Yeah, probably. Like, don't hang your hat on being half Italian here. I know. To get away with it. I will just drop in there that Italian is not a race. So don't call me racist. <laughs> Let's move on. Nishikori K was going for a three-peat in Barcelona. And... He's already won Memphis this year. He got another guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and he was able to make the final again and just came up a little bit short against Rafa. It was a hell of an entertaining match. It really was, yeah. That you wouldn't necessarily figure by the scoreline, right? I no. mean, Rafa didn't lose a set all week. So like mm. to lose 4-6-5-7 is pretty good. Yes, and I like this matchup a lot. And I like watching Cl uh K on clay. You like watching clay K? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just don't give me a Brad Gilbert nickname, please. Somebody, I tweeted today that at one point K was really rifling some shots. And I referred to him as saying A K, K E I, four to seven, no, rifled no. something down the line or whatever to save breakpoint or something. And somebody pointed out that that was very Gilbert-esque. <laughs> and I just let it alone. And you I took a shower? I didn't say anything. It made me feel really grimy. Because mm -hmm. it should have occurred to me that that's what it was that I was doing. Yeah. And so I will take steps to rectify that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people are always offering him... Like new nickname yeah. ideas. And well, he's always quote tweeting You also them. wanted to know why is it that people go to Brad Gilbert to ask questions about every minutia of their right. life. Like, who are you people? Like, Brad, do you prefer two-ply or three-ply toilet paper? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, Brad, what is the best restaurant in Kiev? A uh, 60% chance it's this restaurant. Oh, my God. 30% no, chance. No, it's like 62.5%. <laughs> How He's very quantitative. Very Brad, precise. You know, I'm just saying, maybe Brad's not the expert on everything. <laughs> Some things. <laughs> the Frenchmen have been having a wonderful year. Songa had a good week in Monte Carlo. Mm -hmm. Benoit Père had a good week this week in Barcelona. And I can't tell you if Lucas Puy will win Bucharest because that final against Verdasco was suspended right. or postponed. Until tomorrow, but, Monday. Yeah, but he has made the final. And so you've got Simon already in the top 20. You've got Mofis climbing his way back to the top 10. Mm -hmm. Men's French tennis is doing pretty well right now. Granted, a lot, a few of them are on the older side of the hill. Right, right. Their top players are late 20s or 30. Yeah, you know. Songa is 30 now. When you found out that Songa was in his 30s, you're like, how oh did God. this happen? I know. Like my original 2000s boo. 
is now 30. Right. I just I just feel he has so much more to accomplish and I thought he had more time. You mm. know? Like sands through the hourglass. <laughs> In doing some research for this podcast, I was looking back at Madrid's draw last year and I realized that Djokovic had withdrawn or he withdrew from the the event. Mm. And do you know who took his place? I do not. Yuri Vesely. Really? Who took his ass out in Monte Carlo this year. He did, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if you were to say to me that Djokovic would lose a match early in a tournament, it would make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even paying attention to it because I've, bego- I've gotten so accustomed to Djokovic just winning matches. Right. Even when he's tested. You know, we had the Simo match, that long five-setter. And he gets pushed. He eventually finds a way. Even when he's not playing his best tennis. That's how superb he's been. Mm-hmm. And so I was legitimately surprised by it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was really surprising. It's not surprising that he finally lost. Yeah, it made it perfect happens, sense. But... but the fact that it actually happened. And that happened to Yuri Vesely. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's supposedly an up-and-comer. I don't really know a whole lot about him, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, often when players have these runs of dominance, it is kind of a no-name player who knocks them out. It happened to Martina Navratilova, happened to Steffi Graf. Like, you remember mm-hmm. these names only because they were a giant killer. I don't think Vesely is going to be that person, though. No, no. Be- it I mean, didn't those happen are more like major. Grand Slam kind of thing. Right, I, right. I get your point, though. But players who are in the midst of, like, historic runs, yeah. sometimes they lose to More nobody's. unheralded players. Right. Okay. And if Djokovic losing early was the catalyst for Nadal finding his gears? <laughs> you know, that is A-OK. It's totally fine. Because I don't think Djokovic really has a lot to worry about moving forward. You know, he's still far and away the best player there is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact that it allowed someone else to win a Masters title, not mad at that. And people are like, oh my god, I'm looking forward to Djokovic playing Nadal now. Like, I am not. <laughs> I do not need that in my life. No. And if Djokovic were to lose to somebody else on the other side of the draw and clear a path for Rafa in Paris, I'm all for that. I'd much rather that than watch them play. Mm-hmm. Like, this whole business of earning it, having the two best players on clay play for the marbles, all the, you know, the... Everything's on the table, although, mm. what you call it, though? I don't know. Whatever, you get my point. Yeah. I don't need that. Like, <laughs> the, both of them are totally accomplished in their own right. Right. We've been spoiled with having these top players play each other in the big moments. I guess he won so many titles against the Claymores of the world. Right. <laughs> you know, like, Martin Verkirk. Mm-hmm, like, I don't need to see that. So, if Djokovic wants to take some parental leave some what do you call it a paternity leave yeah paternity leave <laughs> go for it like this is a perfect time to do it well i've never been coy about saying it's really not my favorite matchup i don't love their tennis together i'd mu- i'd really much rather watch better nadal mm-hmm. any day of the week and, and not a- just because nadal wins more often because i like the contrast and styles i enjoy watching those matches I, I agree. There's definitely something to be said about beating the very best. But, like you said, Agassi has won eight Grand Slams. 
nobody is walking around saying, well, he only deserves six. Right. You know, like he has eight and they're not going anywhere. So if Rafa to, were to win number 10 at the French and Against not have to play Vesely, do you, you know, in history, that's not going to matter. It's going to be the 15th Because the he's proven mm-hmm. that he can beat anyone. The matchup amongst the big four that I really want to see more of is Nadal Mori. That's the one that we haven't seen as much as mm-hmm. the others. You know, it's funny you say that because tennis-wise, it's a matchup that I do want to see more. Mm-hmm. But all of the other stuff that's going on during the match, I don't want to see. No. Because I love Andy Murray. I'm a big fan. I think we both are. But I, <laughs> his personality only bothers me when it's against Rafa. That's true. Because... There's all this, he's doing all this bitching about the time violations and all these things that Nadal does that he apparently considers poor sportsmanship. We talked about this after Australia. He, at this point in his career, has to get out of his own way. Right. And maybe it's unrealistic for us to expect that. And I tweeted this and somebody, well, Michael Lewis told me like, this is Murray. Like, what do you expect? You know? And I'm not I'm not saying he needs to control his temper. I'm saying he needs to direct it better. Because he's Serena... so mature off the court. Right. And he just devolves into this mm. blubbering mess. Right. That but just like, doesn't gel with what we think of him. The best players right now, Serena and Djokovic, have really bad tempers, yes. but they've learned to like channel their anger into winning. Mm-hmm. You know, people say like, you don't want to make Serena mad because then she's going to kill you. And that's true. Yeah. And with Andy, it's the total opposite. It's like, why is the world against right. me? Like, it's like this teenage angst that comes out on right. court. That's <laughs> so unbecoming of a man, a grown ass man, mm-hmm. you know? And I appreciate his negativity because mm-hmm. I have a very negative affect, <laughs> you know? I get it. <laughs> but I just wish that he could use it better, like use it opportunistically. Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) Which is what happened against Nadal in the Monte Carlo semifinal. Murray played a blitzing first set, won at 6-2, looked to be on his way to the final. Rafa found a new gear, got his feet into the match, and Murray just fell apart. Mm -hmm. Mentally, he just could not deal with it. Mm -hmm. And then then the chair umpire read him for filth Uh, i mean i've really never heard something like that i've never heard an umpire assert him or herself like that Uh, like unprompted so so tell us what happened well i don't remember the details of why andy was complaining Mm -hmm. he's complaining about some call some mark like wouldn't check the mark or something and so on the changeover andy's walking toward the chair and the umpire says something and andy says what (laughs) <laughs> and he says, you know what? <laughs> and then he says, Andy, you have no respect for what I do. Uh, really? And then they proceeded to to bicker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Andy said, that's not what happened. You know, at least basically, like, get your facts straight before you come to me. So, And again, people say that the messiness is only on the WTA tour. I know. And the whole right? time I'm thinking, wow, this is delicious. But also, like, boys, boys. Just calm down. Which is exactly what it is. You're behaving like a boy. Right. Which again, I will beat this drum over and over and over again. 
these are the things that men get away with that when women do it, it's the most heinous, awful, unpleasant thing <laughs> to view, right? Right. We're going to end the episode with a shout out to two people, two favorites of ours from or past mm-hmm. in tennis. Mine, the very first tennis match I ever watched was the 94 women's final, ladies singles final, I should say. At Wimbledon. <laughs> At Wimbledon. Between Martina Navratilova and Conchita Martinez. Mm-hmm. I had no idea who Martina was. That day I picked Conchita as my favorite, <laughs> my boo. And I just loved her looping passing shots down the line of both wings against Martina. Mm. The ball looked like it was going out into the doubles court and it would just hook right back in. <laughs> And for you, you've always been a huge fan of Moresmo. I've yeah. been a much bigger fan since she retired and what mm. she's done as a coach. But both of them have carved out this this space for them in tennis now as really important, prominent women in the game. Right. Conchita is the Fed Cup and Davis Cup Spain captain. And Amelie is the French Fed Cup captain as well as Andy Morris captain. mentor captain life coach (laughs) all of these things and i just want to give a shout out to the many different successful hats that these two women wear because especially conchita if there's a joints event she's everywhere Mm -hmm. she's at the spanish players men and women she's at all their matches She's tweeting about everybody. She's congratulating everybody. And she seems to be having a ball doing it. Yeah. And I'm sure it must not have been easy for her to make that transition after Galileon Garcia had that bag of trouble with the right. men's Davis right. Cup team to, to slide into that role and then also juggle Fed Cup as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you told me she did Fed Cup and Davis Cup, I knew she was the new Davis Cup captain, mm-hmm. but... I would not want to be dealing with those divas on the Davis Cup team. Those I'm not hef- talking about Fed Cup. <laughs> those hef- I'm talking about these Spanish Armada divas. Because you're these not men. only dealing with the men, the players, you're dealing with their, their teams as well. Yeah. You're dealing with Uncle Tony. Right. Who has every opinion imaginable. <laughs> and he's going to tell you. Right. He's going to give every interview possible. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be doing well. She seems to be having a good rapport with the players. Yeah. The reason we're bringing these women up is because last week was Fed Cup, the semifinals uh-huh. in the World Group. The Czech Republic and France advanced the final. So Amelie will be coaching in the final. Conchita won't mm-hmm. be. But watching that event just made me so aware of how nonstop these two women must go. I mean, Amelie's a new mother. Right. <laughs> and she's still traveling all over the world. Conchita, between having to deal with the men and the woman, like she's never not working, Mm -hmm. right? She's like Justin Gimmelstop. (laughs) She has so many jobs. She's the busiest woman in tennis. (laughs) I'm expecting that New York Times piece any day now. (laughs) So I think with that, we are going to wrap up. Mm -hmm. We're going to make this episode in under an hour. We are. Brevity is the soul of wit. What? That is a famous quote. Okay. I guess I'm not well. If you don't know that, that's embarrassing. I guess it's a deal breaker now. Bye. (laughs) Anyway, 
I was going to say that iTunes has totally failed us yes. lately. Mm-hmm. I realize they are a free service, but if you rely on iTunes for our podcasts, you're not listening to this right now because we're not on it. <laughs> it took uh, damn near three, four weeks for the last episode to be uploaded to iTunes. Yeah. And so normally it happens instantaneously, but we're having some technical difficulties on their end. But the podcast shows up on all other podcast hosting sites, whether it be Stitcher, if you use Podcast Addict, if you use just streaming from Podbean directly, it's there, just not iTunes. Mm -hmm. And they've admitted in our correspondences with them that it's a problem on their end, and yet still not resolved. Yeah, I guess we just don't really have the leverage of other large podcasts. (laughs) So you are free to still review us on iTunes, which we greatly appreciate. Maybe it's a f- we're just not able to see it on our end. So let us know if you are able to access all the episodes yeah. on your end. Mm-hmm. That might be helpful to us. If you see episodes 40 and 41, let us know. Good idea. And please uh, find us on Twitter and talk to us. We that are, sounds so we desperate. Are lonely, so <laughs> please talk to us. We are at the body serve on Twitter. I am so sick of his ass. Like I need somebody else to talk to. <laughs> Even if you're a bot, we'll talk to you. <laughs> so anyway, I'm James. My handle is at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. I like how you pause now because you expect me to finish that sentence. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. And you're Jonathan, and your handle is Sportscribe CA. And we are at the body serve at the body serve. Funnily enough. <laughs> The next time we come to you will probably be after Madrid, a nice big joint event, which I'm sure will have lots of juicy stuff mm-hmm. going on. Hopefully, knock on wood, it will be a third successive clay title for Rafa. I take that back. I don't want to get ahead of myself. <laughs> I know, right? We're just hoping that everybody's happy and healthy. And for those of you who follow the podcast and aren't Rafa fans, just just allow us to have this moment. Like we've <laughs> suffered for quite a for the majority of this podcast, of the duration of this mm-hmm. podcast, it hasn't been a lot of winning moments for us. And if you're a Novak fan, thank you for listening and I admire your masochism. <laughs> we have been very generous. <laughs> we have. I think. Yes. All right, till next time. <laughs>